We've kind of gotten through our introduction. Um, if you don't have a new booklet, I think there's maybe some back there. I'm not, I don't recall. If not, you can cheat or steal somebody else's, okay? Just kidding. That's all right. <laughs> Y'all got to liven up a little bit this morning. You'll be all right. Um, <laughs> you know, hey, hey God, God's still plenty good this morning, I promise you. As we look here today, we're going to read verses 1 down through 3. And we're going to be looking, it's picking up here uh, at the, the little section that's talking about the membership of a church, who he's writing to what it means to be a part of a church. So this is for us today. He says, Paul and, and Silvanus, which is Silas, and Timotheus, which is Timothy, unto the church of the Thessalonians, which is in God, the Father, and in the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to you, uh, to God, always for you, all, uh, for you all, making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your work of faith and labor of love, and patience of hope in the Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of God, and our Father. We began last, or sort of ended last week, rather, with looking at what it means to have an ecclesia, or even times it's called ecclesia. It is the church. It is a called out assembly, the congregational assembly of God. This is how God desires to work today. God has one church, and we see it in two ways. One, the global church, which is the, the total body of Christ. That is, is every believer, past, present, and future, who is trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ. They are now made a member of his body. As well, they are um, made to be the bride of Christ. That is who the church is. The church is a living, breathing organism. It is not just a title. It is not just a name on a sign. It is something far greater. It is something that ties us together through the Spirit, through the Scripture, through the Savior. Now, then we find what you and I are a part of today. And this is what we often think of when we think of church. When we say the word church, we often say, i got to go to church, or the church is doing this, or the church is doing that. And what are we talking about? We're talking about the local church. God operates through the local church. God cares for the local church. God cares far more about the local church than even the most dedicated of church members. God cares for His bride. He cares for His body. And the local church is how He has established certain things to function. He has given us all that we need to function. He has told us how we are to operate. Now, granted, we have uh, bylaws and constitutions and all these different things, and we use that for today's world, especially for different protection and, and things uh, as we are facing um, much opposition throughout the world. Nevertheless, ultimately, what the church stands on is not those things, and the local church cannot even stand upon those things. The local church stands upon the Word of God alone. The church stands upon Christ alone. On Christ, the solid rock, I stand. Notice, that is not even the church that is the solid rock. It is the church that the rock of Christ uses. He desires to use the local church to impact the community. He desires for the local church to be salt and to be light. He desires that the local church would be a place where the sheep of God would come to hear um, the word of God and be shepherded by the, the, the good shepherd, which is not the pastor, by the way. He's just the under shepherd, right? He's, he's called, I'm called to simply give you the word of God, point you to Christ, and he does the work, right? And we think about this. We are called out of the world to be called together in church, right? Right now, we would say that we uh, got up this morning and we say, I'm going to church today, right? Well, really, if we think about this, we are the church, but we are the church when we gather. Now, we gather together for a reason. It's because what takes place in this place is for the church, for the glory of God. This is not for the lost world. It's not to entertain goats. It's not even to just draw in lost people that they too might come and sit on empty pews. And we've got plenty of them, by the way, right? We want them here. Praise God we do. Nevertheless, what happens in church is for the church. 
It is to strengthen, to edify, to encourage, to convict us, to change us, to mold us, to make us more and more like Christ because ultimately the church is Jesus's. It's not ours. It's not the pastors. It's not the signs. It's not a denominations. It's not a, a banks. It's not anybody's. It's not a trustees. It's not a deacons. It's not a pastors. It is Jesus's church. Now, with this understanding, we've got to understand that we gather together so that they think about this. What are you going to do here in a little while? Here in about an hour, two, three, four hours, whenever I'm done, right? We'll leave, won't we? And what happens when we leave? We scatter. We're going to different homes, different restaurants, different places. Come tomorrow morning, you go to different places, works, jobs, the whole thing, right? So what do you do there? Do you cease to be a Christian there? No, rather you are gathered here today as the church to scatter out so that you would be used of God. This is our filling station, right? The church, the local church is to be the sheets gas station for the spiritual soul, right? This is the place where we come, we fill up, we go in, we get a snack, we fellowship, we wave, we say hi to each other, we encourage, and we get filled up. Why? So that we can keep going along our journey. Now, here's the issue, though. You cannot just go on your tank throughout the week with just one filling up. Now, you might physically say, well, I got a car, I got a good gas mileage, right, or whatever it might be, right? Well, well, good for you for that. Praise God, especially in these times, right? Uh, you're not riding around in, in uh, a diesel dually or anything like that or a monster truck. Okay, that's fine. But spiritually, I want you to know this. If come tomorrow morning you're not getting some filling up on your own, you're going to be in a world of hurt, right? We need to constantly be being filled up by the Word of God, by the Spirit of God. Then and only then will we be able to come to church come Sunday morning and gather together and have unity, have power, have strength, have what church is supposed to be. If we were honest, we would probably look around at most churches today and possibly even our own, and we look at the modernism of church. We look at the way things are in the world today, and many of us would say, church ain't what it used to be. And no, sadly, it's not. But that's because we're not who we used to be. We've allowed the influence of the world to affect the local church. The local church is not to be affected by the world, but rather the local church is to impact and affect the world around it. We have somehow allowed our communities, our world, our government, uh, our own personalities and opinions to affect what happens inside the local church, and none of those things should ever take effect. We should be the effect in our community. We should be the effect in our homes. And really, it's not us. It's Christ's church, Christ in us doing this work. Now, as we look at this, we have to see here, and this is what we're picking up today, that any true church must be in God the Father and in the Lord Jesus Christ. You can be in a denomination all you want, right? But you will only be saved and be in heaven if you are in Christ. You will never be in heaven if you are not in Christ. And the only way to experience this is by grace through faith. Now, for the local church, we have to understand that the local church operates by the Word of God through the power of Christ, through the power of His Spirit. One commentator writes, God the Father, this marks that they were no longer heathen. The Lord Jesus Christ, this marks that they were not Jews, but Christians. Notice the change. We are no longer um, of the world or of the devil, but now we are in God our Father and in the Lord Jesus Christ. This shows that we have a new identity. The local church is not an organization. It is an organism. It belongs to God. It is living and breathing and is to be used by God and for God. Now, in this, he says here that... 
we see that it is in God the Father. This marks that we're no longer, we have a new father. We're no longer of our father the devil. We now are of our heavenly father who has bought us uh, through the blood of his son. Then we see in the Lord Jesus Christ, this marks that they're no longer Jews and they're no longer Gentiles. They are Christians. They are born again. So I don't care what you have as your background. It doesn't matter what your economic status is. And God does not care neither. And the local church is not meant to be divided up by skin color, economic background, or even location. The local church is meant to draw together those who are in God, in the Lord Jesus Christ, those who are truly born again. Here's what uh, McGee writes. He says, any believer who is in Christ Jesus is also in God the Father. That is a very safe place to be, safer than any safety deposit box. Now, he puts it very simple that way, but isn't it true? To know this, that the church belongs to God. If the church belonged to a pastor, deacons, or trustees, or even to the people, it's not your church either. If it belonged to us, what would we do? We would make it what we wanted, and we would make a wreck of it, wouldn't we? The reason why we see many churches paraded around today that are no longer pure, that are walking around like the world today, is because those churches belong not to God as they should, they belong to men, and men always corrupt what God has and in, intends to be pure. God will have a pure church. Now, in this, he talks about this place. There is no safer place and should be no safer place than inside the local church. And yet, sadly, we hear of wars and rumors of wars and fightings amongst us, divisions and disorder and all these sorts of issues in the local church that never should be. Where we have people, we have problems, and we as a person are oftentimes our biggest problem and issue. Nevertheless, what we find is that there is great safety in knowing that we are in Him and that the church belongs to Him. Every Christian must be in Christ and he must be in church. Now, there are shut-ins, absolutely. But if you are bodily, physically able to go to church, and you say that you love Jesus, you will be here. Now, it does not necessarily mean that everyone in town is going to come to Victory Way, right? That's okay. Nevertheless, what it means is that if you love Jesus, you will love His church. There is a huge fad today, and it's not just now, but it's been going on for, for years and years, for century after century, where, well, you know, I, I like Jesus, and I follow Jesus, but I don't really follow the church. The church is so corrupt. The church is so this. The church is so that. You, you know something? There's plenty of corruption everywhere you look because there are people. If you're looking for a perfect church and you say, well, I'm only going to go to a church if it meets all these perfections that I've set, up, set upon it, then you'll never go, right? And, and you can't be your own church, by the way. There's no such thing as you being your own pastor, being your own deacon. You might be your own treasurer, I don't know. Right? <laughs> Think of this. If you truly love Jesus... And he says, this is my church. And he prayed for his church. What should we do? We should love the church. We should not. Now, here's the issue, though. And here's what we've got culturally. And let's be real, real with ourselves. Let's think Carroll County. Let's think here in the South. We've got people who know and love church that don't know and love Christ. It's very possible to know and love church and not know and love Christ and still die a lost church member. But it will be impossible to know and love Christ and to not be in church and to know and love church. 
And to not just attend either. But to be a member means much more than attendance. It is a giving of oneself. As Christ gave Himself for the church, we give ourselves for the church. In this, here's what we find. We need Christ before we will need the church. We must be in Christ before we will be in church. Watch for the danger. Watch for those who say or sing, Oh, how I love church, but not, Oh, how I love Jesus. And it's all around us. And don't think that it's not. Here, he gets to the message in this, though. Here, in verse number 1, he says, Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And I love verse 1 so much because twice he's dealing with our Father, the Father, Lord Jesus Christ, our Lord Jesus Christ. We see this over and over again in verses 1-3. through Because he's showing that our our identity as Christians and as a church is not in our own, and it's not in a name on a sign. It is in Christ Jesus. Now here's the message that he gives them, first of all. Grace and peace. Ultimately, what the gospel message is, it is that. It is the message of God that gives grace and peace. You need grace and peace. Everyone today is looking for peace. Everyone is looking for grace. But you will never find grace in this world, will you? No. If you look even inward to your own heart, do you often find grace when you talk to yourself about yourself? No. No. When you talk to yourself and you hear your heart, as we had read back in 1 John as we were studying through it, our heart deceives us, our heart condemns us. We won't find any grace within, not on our own flesh. We often don't find grace from other church members. We find grace. Those who are sinners just like us who like to point out sins that aren't theirs and never look at their own. That's not very gracious, is it? How about this? We always want peace. We want peace within. We want peace with God. We want peace with others. We think, though, that this idea of peace is we want comfort or being a a lack of war. And that's not the case. Peace doesn't mean that there's not conflict. Peace means that all is right as it should be. Now, in order to get peace, sometimes you've got to have some conflict to get there, don't you? Now, here's the issue, though. is that many of us are just looking to be comfortable, meaning we don't want any sort of conflict. We don't want a briar to stick us. We don't want anything to possibly come against us or disagree with us or not look like us. That's not peace. That's selfishness is what that is. Grace and peace, what we find though is that they are kissed together, brought together through the promise and provision of God found in Christ. We find grace in Jesus. We find peace in Jesus. If you don't know Jesus, you don't know what grace is. If you don't know Jesus, you don't know what peace is. The the Word of God, the fact that we have a Bible before us right now, you know what that is? Grace. What happens when you read it and you obey it and you apply it to your heart? What do you find? Peace. Notice how grace and peace are always working together and they're working for our good and for God's glory. Here the commentator writes, and this is going to cover here, it's a a lengthy quote, but I have it here for a reason. I'll I'll take some pauses. He's going to be covering the meaning of grace and peace here. And this is important for us to get. The greeting grace and peace to you looks like a combination of the usual Greek and Hebrew forms with a slight but significant change in the Greek. From kairain, which is greeting, to charis, which is grace. 
Grace is one of the great Christian words. Cognate and kara, joy, uh, it means basically that which causes joy. In a Christian context, nothing brings joy like the act of God and Christ whereby sin is put away and salvation is made available as a free gift. If I were to ask you today, tell me in just a brief definition, what is grace? Most people would say unmerited favor or a gift of God, right? Grace is given to us by God. Now, what should that do? Well, that should bring peace. It should bring joy. If we were to come to church or go to work or lay down our heads at night and to think about the infinite, matchless grace of Jesus, it just might give us some joy. We were meant to be joyful all the time. We weren't meant to be happy all the time. And there is a a huge difference. It was, uh, I believe, Adrian Rogers who said something to the effect that um, happiness is a thermometer, but it is, uh, but that uh, joy is a thermostat, right? Happiness, you can maybe check the temperature, but joy will control the temperature in the home. And we are meant to live full of joy. How can we do that? By dwelling in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, by dwelling in the grace that God has given Himself to us. And he goes on and he says here, uh, the word comes then to mean any free gift of God. And in greetings, it is used in this general sense, though with a glance of God's great gift to mankind. With us, peace is a negative concept, the absence of war. But the Hebrew equivalent, shalom, is concerned with wholeness, soundness, and signifies prosperity in the widest sense, especially prosperity in spiritual things. So when the Old Testament was translated into Greek, shalom was rendered by irene, which that is the word used here. And thus for those steeped in the Old Testament, peace is this broad concept of the prosperity of the whole man. And more specific and more especially, his spiritual prosperity. But peace of heart, heart peace is the idea here, misses the point that it is the prosperity of the whole man that is in mind. There may be significance in the invariable order of these two words in greetings. First grace, then peace. There can be no true peace until the grace of God has dealt with sin. Think about this. Your salvation does several things. One, it is a gift of God's grace to save you, but even more specifically, it does not just save you, but it makes peace with God for you. Right? Jesus came, died on the cross as a mediator representing both God and man because He was the God-man. There has not been no other and will be no other God-man. He perfectly represents God because He is God from eternity past to eternity future. And He perfectly represents man because He has put on man's flesh, tempted and like we are, but yet without sin. So He's perfect, the perfect mediator for us, the perfect mediator for God. And there on the cross, He takes our place. And in so doing, He acts as this bridge that is able to take the lost sinner to be a found saint from someone that is guilty, dirty, cast away, a two-fold child of the devil himself, to now be born again and to brought into the presence of God, to be reconciled to God, to now be at peace with God. If you go and you read Ephesians, the work of Jesus on the cross was meant to take those that were enmity or enemies of God and to make them now friends and servants and sons and daughters of God. It makes us now at peace. 
a wholeness. It is not just that He brought us to church. It is not just that He brought us out of some gross sins. It is that He has saved us from the inside out. Our entire being now belongs to Him. Grace. Then peace. Grace and peace only come from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace has been offered by the Father through the Word and work of the Son so that the Son can make peace between sinful man and God the Father. And by the way, it is the Spirit that reveals this to us. It is the Spirit that points us to the Word and work of Christ. It is the Spirit that shows us the plan and purposes of God the Father. It is the Spirit that draws us into fellowship and peace with God and with one another. Amen. Somebody. (laughs) Amen. Now let's look here. Let's get into verses 2 and 3 here. He then gets into Paul's thankfulness for the Thessalonians. He's thankful for them. You and I should be thankful for the church. We should not just be thankful for the church when the church does something for us because if we're going to church because we want something from the church, we're going for the wrong reasons anyways. The church is not meant for us to just go and collect as much stuff as we can collect and go, look how much spiritual stuff I've got. I'm overflowing with this. is great. It's meant to fill us up so that God would fill us up so that then He would pour us out and use us. It is meant so that we would even come and fellowship and pour into each other and help one another. It is meant ultimately so that in all things that take place, in the church, by the church, through the church, go directly back to the Lord Himself to glorify Him. God has dispensed His grace and His peace to the church. Why? So that we would live for Him, be who we are called to be, that called out assembly for God, and give Him glory in doing so. That's what we're called to do. Now, Paul is thankful for the church. If there's anybody that has ever been thankful for the church of God, it has been Paul. Paul was truly changed. And he never forgot such. If we remember back in the book of Acts, over and over and over and over and over again, as he is imprisoned, as he is standing before uh, jurors and trials and kings and people who are questioning him, what does he always go back to? The day that Jesus saved him and changed him. What should you and I go back to? The day that Jesus saved us and changed us. Now, Paul, Silas, and Timothy are grateful. They're not just grateful, but they're prayerful to God incessantly and as interceders for the church of the Thessalonians. That should be our attitude. We should be absolutely grateful and prayerful for the church today. Let me ask you, and without show of hands, we don't want show of hands. Did you pray for the church of God today? Did you pray for others to come burdened with things from the Lord? Did you pray for others to come ready to get burdens laid down? Uh, Did you come uh, praying uh, for, for God to give the church what is needed. Did you pray? When's the last time you prayed for the, the unity of this church? When's the last time that you prayed for revival in, in this church? When's the last time you prayed for revival for yourself? When's the last time that you prayed that God would use His church, build His church, as He said He would do? And by the way, God is doing that. God often builds with invisible bricks that we don't see. And we can't see what God is doing with the naked eye at times, but nevertheless, God is still building and moving and growing His church. We must trust in that promise. Now, let me ask you this as well. Who do you intercede for? Paul, Silas, and Timothy, they know this church and they're praying for this church. 
you know these people. You know the people of Victory Baptist Church, at least you should. So what should we be doing? Interceding on their behalf. There is something that every church member needs from you. It's prayer. There's something that me, as a pastor, needs from you. It's prayer. I read uh, not too long ago a little, little a snippet um, towards the end of a book, and he was talking about uh, if you have a... <laughs> Essentially, he said, if you have a lousy preacher, have a lousy pastor, he's got no fire, no passion, just terrible, right? And you want a better one, which naturally you would, wouldn't you, right? He says, if you want a better one, pray for him. Amen. That makes sense, doesn't it? He says, then if you have a good one, right, but you want a great one, pray for him. Let me ask you this. Do you want a great church? full of unity, full of life, full of power, but maybe you just have a good one, or maybe one that no longer experiences such things? Pray. Pray to the Lord for these things. Now, uh, Thomas writes here, he is not trying to win the Thessalonians over by rhetorical flattery. Let me pause there for a moment. How many times, and let's get real real with ourselves, and we don't like this, but we'll be all right. How many times do we tell somebody, oh, I'm praying for you, I've done it. Anybody else? <laughs> right? Just the pastor? Why we do that sometimes, don't we? You know why? If we really think about it, because we want them to think that we're really spiritual. We want them to think that we care for them more than we really do. But if we really care, and if we're really filled by the Spirit, you know what we will do? We will actually pray. That's the hard part. We say those things here in the South all the time for flattery, don't we? Bless your heart. Oh, I'm here for you. Really not. Boy, what a shame it is. You see, the church of God needs us. We are the church of God. The church is counting on your prayers. This preacher is counting on your prayers. It is one thing to say. It's another thing to pray. Here, here he goes on. I'll pick up with his quote here. He says, He sincerely tries to give ultimate credit to the one from whom spiritual progress comes. When Christians realize their complete dependence on God and keep this in clear focus, then and only then are they capable of moving on to greater spiritual exploits such as those spoken of later in this epistle. I would tell us this, dear church, today. God will never do anything great amongst us if we are not willing to be faithful in the things that aren't so great. If we're not willing to be faithful in scrubbing toilets or personal evangelism or personal devotion or personal prayer or with our own individual lives, never expect for a mighty move. However, God desires to do the great wonders and the great and mighty things for us as He once did. But you know something? He tells us, if you want the big things, you want the great things, well, you've got to be faithful in these little things. God has given us so much that we ought to be faithful and grateful and thankful and prayerful for, but it is up to us. Sorensen writes, he undoubtedly did give thanks to God and pray for these, 
But it would seem he made an immediate point to let them know this, to lift their spirits and to encourage them. Such knowledge is encouragement to God's people to this day. To know someone is praying for us in itself is encouragement, not to mention God's hearkening unto such prayer. So am I saying, you know, Pastor Joe said in Sunday school not to tell anybody that you prayed for them. No, that's not what he said. He said, don't tell somebody you're going to pray for them and then not pray for them. Now, it absolutely should do your heart good. And it does my heart good to know that I've got people that are praying for me. And I know I've got some people praying for me every day. Not because they tell me every day, hey, praying for you, praying for you, praying for you, right? Now, here's the thing. I've heard some people have even said, you know, they send me a, a text or a phone call or they just tell me, at the same time, the same day, every week, praying for you, and that's all they say. That just sounds like it's vain repetition to me. I don't know that they're real. That's awful. Maybe they really are sitting aside that time every day on that certain day, that certain time to pray for you. That's a picture of God's grace and goodness. That's God's favor and faithfulness. That's what the church should look like. It should do your spirit some good to know that people are praying. And that's why it's a blessed thing to send a card or a phone call, even telling somebody, hey, I just want you to know today, Lord laid you on my heart, I'm praying for you. Hey, if you, if you got a minute, I'll pray with you right quick. It don't take long to pray for anybody. God can do much more with a, a 10-second prayer for somebody than we could ever do uh, in, in our own strength and power anyways. Here, as we move on, he gets into this remembering portion. And as we're talking about prayer, we're to be persistent in this. And clearly he says in verse 2, we give thanks to God always. Now, let's break this word down. Always means always, all the time. All places. It's unending. This means Paul kept a prayer list. Whether he had this thing written down or not, nevertheless, he had a list of churches of which he prayed for. Maybe even individuals of which he prayed for. Certainly he had many individuals that he mentions all throughout his letters. Pray for so-and-so. They're uh, not uh, experiencing unity. Pray for so-and-so. They're having conflict. Or tell so-and-so, I said hi, and may the Lord bless them for their faithfulness. Paul knew the church. And I would tell us this this morning. We will never pray for a people that we don't really know. We won't really have a heart to pray for people that we don't really know. And I would tell us that if we truly want to be the church that God has called us to be, you better know your church. You better know somebody. You better talk to them. How will you know to pray for something or someone that you don't know or know what to pray for them for? Right? We think, you know, I've been really praying for our missionaries. Lord, bless our missionaries. Amen. And I said that prayer every day. Well, God will bless. But think about how much more God could bless if we simply, Lord, be with sister so-and-so. They're struggling with this. Be with brother so-and-so. They're struggling with this. And, and, And to even tell that sister or brother, hey, I want you to know I'm praying for you today. What a joy it is when someone, think about this in your own life, when someone's told you, hey, I'm praying for you today, or maybe what a joy it is, and I've seen it even recently, by the way, and I want to give you some encouragement this morning. I've seen it in this very church recently. People unashamedly praying together. Not, by the way, even in times of service, in other points in times through phone calls in person with an arm around the other, going to God on prayer for them and letting them know and having fellowship, there is nothing that brings Christians closer together than praying together. 
You start sweating in prayer and crying in prayer and all sorts of bodily fluids in prayer. You will come together. It is a work to pray. It's hard work. But it's a work worthwhile. The church is powered by this prayer. The church is powered through prayer. Today we're going to stop here at this remembering section. And we'll pick that up next week with verse number 3. Paul's going to get into the specifics of what he remembers in prayer. Wrote He remembers the reasons why he's thankful. The reason why he's grateful. Let me ask you this before we get into that next week. Maybe I even challenge you a little bit. And you don't have to show nobody. We're not collecting homework here. But what if you were to sit down one day, take five minutes, and to write down the things in this church that you were thankful for. The people in this church you were thankful for. Well, boy, then you would see either how many people you know and pray for or how many people you can know and can pray for that you don't already. Amen? Now let's pray this morning, and uh, we'll get ready for worship service. God, we come to you this day. We just want to thank you for your goodness, your faithfulness. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Help us, O oh God, to, to be full of